Hi friends, Gerald Law here. Welcome to the Love Lake Norman podcast. Love Lake Norman is a church in Cornelius, North Carolina, whose mission is to help people find and follow Jesus. You're about to hear a message that will be helpful and hopeful. Our goal is to encourage you to take the next step in your faith. Wherever you are, we want you to know that God has a plan and a purpose for you. Thanks for spending time with us today. We hope you enjoy this message. My name's Gerald, and I'm the lead pastor here. I want to say welcome. I just told Damien, uh, he might have just preached my message for me. So uh, he's going to make it really easy for me today. Hey, um, we're really, really glad that you're here, especially if this is your first time. We're so thrilled that you're here. And we began this series called Faithful uh, a couple weeks back. And what we really said at the beginning was this, that, um, that, that Jesus was only really amazed by two kinds of people. Like, he, like you go through the whole Gospels, and it only says he's amazed twice. One of those times when it says that he was amazed, it was because of someone who he thought had great faith. And he, it, it says he was amazed at this person's great faith. The, the, the other one, the other time that Jesus was amazed was the opposite. He was amazed when a group of people had this lack of faith, and, and so much so that he had to leave the town that he was in. Those are the only two things in the Gospels that you find Jesus being amazed at. And so what we've done is we're asking this question, what does it take to be somebody full of faith? What does it take to, to grow your faith? What does it take to be somebody who is faithful, who is, who is full of faith? And, and what we're talking about really are these five catalysts to our faith. And uh, we've said that the first one, now we've actually done it with an acronym, with the word faith, which is almost a little cheesy, but it kind of works for us here. So uh, the first one is with the letter F, and it says, um, you've got to have friends who care. It's about having friends who care uh, in your life. And so these aren't just people that you go uh, to vacation with or that you hang out with next door or that you go out with at night or whatever. These are people who can pour their lives into you spiritually, who can encourage you. Do you have in your life friends who care? The second one we said last week was this, that the A stands for activating your spiritual gifts. Every one of you, if you know Jesus, if you're, if you're a Christ follower, and we don't assume everybody is in the room, but if you are, you've been given at least one spiritual gift. Are you activating that spiritual gift? What does it look like to do that? And, and then today, what I want to share with you, though, is, is one of the faith catalysts that is different than the other four. The one that starts with the letter I today is just completely different than the other four. In order to share about it with you today, I want to tell you this story from the book of John. And I really just want to tell you a story, and so I'm going to like sit here for a minute. And, and can we do this? It's okay. I'm not, I'm not coming any closer. <laughs> I'm scaring you. <laughs> I'm stopping right here. Um, but I want to share this story with you from the book of John. And it's about Jesus and this royal official. And I'm going to read it, and then I just want to talk to you about it this morning. And it goes like this. It says, once um, more he visited, am I starting the right place? Yes. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick in Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and he begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied. 
your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word, and he departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon the fever left him, and then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And so he and his whole household believed. So there's this royal official, and a royal official uh, literally translated means king's man, the, the, the king's man. Like this was the king's man. This was his right-hand man. This was the guy who did uh, all kinds of things for the king. He had a high position. He had wealth. He had rank. He had prosperity. He had privilege. He had all of these things. He probably lived in, he lived in Capernaum, probably in a villa up high on a cliff overlooking the Galilean Sea. He had a house uh, not only with his family, but a house full of servants, and he had everything at his fingertips that he could possibly want. He had the job that everybody wanted. But there was one thing that he couldn't get. There's one thing that his wealth and his power and his privilege wouldn't buy him, and that was the healing of his son. You see, he had this boy who had been running through the house back and forth, back and forth, and all over the, the grounds, and they couldn't keep up with him. He was running around so fast and playing so hard, and yet he developed a fever, and, and one day he just became a shell of himself, and he was simply laying in bed, just a, a, a shell of who he was. And they couldn't do anything for him. What's the first thing that they did? Well, a man of his power and wealth and position, he turned to his wealth. And he said, well, I'll, I'll get the best doctors here to help my son get better. And so he, find, he found the best doctors and he got the, the best treatments available in mainstream medicine. And none of that worked. And so he turned to his servants who recommended some folk medicine treatments and, and he tried all of those and, and those didn't work. And so he's in his boy's room and he looks around and there's medicine bottles and different treatments that are empty lying all over the place. All of them have failed. Now, remember, this is a man of privilege. He has everything that, that money could want. He has this position, he has the ear of the king. He's got all the food that he could ever want in the fanciest of ways, prepared in the fanciest of ways. He has all the clothes that he could ever, ever wear and all the fanciest styles, and, and yet none of that matters to him in this moment. And so at night, uh, he and his wife just hover over the bed, trying to do anything they could to help their boy survive. And so the servants come in and out and they bring cold washcloths and they change his sheets and they offer some encouraging words, but nothing seems to help. And so night turns into day and the man steps out to his patio and he looks out over his expansive estate and he just weeps because he knows that there's nothing more they can do. And he begins to ask himself questions, really difficult questions like, what good is all of this if I can't do anything to help my son? What good is all of this 
if I can't find anyone who will help my son. And he just simply breaks down. And then as the, the day shift of servants come in, one of them kind of sidles up next to him and, and almost hesitantly says, you know, um, there's this guy, Jesus. There's this guy, Jesus, who I've heard is doing miraculous things. I've heard he's laying his hands on people and they're finding healing. I've, I've heard about him and he's just over in, in Cana. And, and you know what happens when you get desperate in life? Like you know what happens when, when something happens and, and you don't know what to do anymore? Like all of a sudden you, you, can, you, you can take leaps of faith that you wouldn't have previously. When something like that is going on, all of a sudden you realize I, 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 I could do what it takes. I'm gonna do something different. And so he got excited, he got a little bit enthusiastic and he jumped up and he said, maybe this is our opportunity. Maybe if I can get Jesus to come back with me that he can heal my son. And so he packs up everything and they make the 25 mile trip from Capernaum to Cana, that's how far it was. And all the way on that trip, he's rehearsing what he wants to say to Jesus over and over and over again. And so they get there and they, they, they embark on this frenetic, frantic search to find this man, Jesus. And they, they, they finally find him. And this man goes to Jesus and he, he, he grabs him by the shoulders, maybe by the cloak. And he does something that no royal official ever does. He does something that's so unusual. He begs. He, he, he begs Jesus to heal his son, and then Jesus responds in a way that usually he responds with compassion, right? But, but this time he responds with a rebuke. He says basically, you guys always want a miracle from me. Now you gotta understand that the headlines that Jesus had already made were like miracle worker, you know? Like here's, the, here's this guy who's coming to do signs and wonders. He was making headlines and it was sort of like, step right up, come see the miracle worker do his thing. And, the last thing he wanted to do was for the gospel to become this show of, of uh, sensationalistic healing, and then it just disappears. But this man was begging him. And, and, and maybe in that moment, you know, Jesus uh, had, had a memory of looking in his own father's face when he was about to step out and when he was saying, I'm leaving, I'm going there now. And maybe he saw that compassion and that love and that heartbreak on his own father's face because he saw it in this man as well. As this man's kneeling before him with his voice cracking and tears streaming down his eyes. And so Jesus simply says to the man, go, your, your son will live. Now, um, the royal official, this was not what he was expecting. He was expecting for Jesus to get up and to go all the way back to Capernaum with him. But he stood up and he turned and he left. And in that standing up, in that getting up, in that moment of turning and leaving, a seed of faith began to grow in his life because he trusted Jesus, he believed in him, and he walked away. 
And so he goes to spend the night that night and then he gets up early the next morning and he prepares for the journey back and he heads back to Capernaum and he's, he's, he's met outside of the house and, and he begins to realize one thing, that at the very moment that Jesus said, your son will live, the servants and his family say that that's when the boy got up. That's when he stood up. That's when the fever left him. And so they rejoiced, but not only for the healing of his son. Because what happened that day was that faith came not only to that man, not only to his family, but to the whole household. The scriptures say that they all that day believed. And faith began to to, to grow on, on top of that cliff at that fancy villa and so as he went home and he, and, he, and he holds his son in his arms, more importantly, he's, he's holding the Savior, his Savior, in his heart. And the rest of that household is too. You know, there are these moments in faith where things just happen and, and these other faith catalysts that we've talked about are things that you do, they're steps that you take. But sometimes things just happen to us, things that we can't control, and uh, they can be good things. They can be good things like um, getting married, like having a, having a child and, and seeing God through the love of that child, or maybe getting into a school that you wanted to get into. They can be bad like an illness that you face, like a child that gets sick, maybe even the death of somebody close to you. Maybe uh, it, it's, it's a move that you had to make a move, like maybe you moved to locations and you felt like it was gonna be a bad thing. But either way, looking back on those things, looking back on those things that happened to you, you point back and you can look at them and you can say, that was a catalyst for my faith. That was a catalyst for my faith. We said friends who care and activating your spiritual gifts, but the, the, the I here is different than the rest. It's just simply important moments. It's important moments. There are important moments when God shows up only in a way that he can, and there are moments in our lives that force us to have a decision. They force us to make a decision. Maybe you did move across the country one time with your family, and you hated it, and you, you just did not want to do it at all. But that was when you met that group of girls who took their faith seriously. And that was when you came to know Christ. And that was when you began to grow in your faith. Um, imagine if your, your timeline was like a, a, an, inv- a, an invisible line that stretches from one side of this room to the other. And if I ask you, would you describe your timeline of your story to me? You would put marks on it, wouldn't you? You would say, here are some marks in my life. Like, here are some things in my life. Here are some things that happen. This mark, and then this mark, and then this mark. These are the providential moments in my life where God showed up, even when I wasn't ready, even if I wasn't thinking that he would. That summer camp that I went to, that I thought I was going to play soccer, but I ended up meeting Jesus. That person that I was introduced to that was significant to me, my mom, my dad, that grandmother that I had who prayed for me, that's a significant moment in my life. Those guys who knocked on my dorm room door in college, they kept knocking and knocking. I would put that there. 
that retreat that I went on, that, that woman that I fell in love with and married, that child that we had who, who taught me more about love of God than anyone else, you didn't control these moments, they just happened to you, but your choice and my choice is to pay attention to those things or not. And, and often these moments, I mean, they're, they're good sometimes, but often they're, they're the bad ones, right? It's the illness or the loss of the career or the loss of your marriage and it's gotten you to this point where you're saying, okay, if there's a God, where is God? If there's a God, where's God? And can I say this, today could be your moment. Today might be your moment because you may have been thinking these things already and this might be what brought you to church today. And you know, hey, I need something. I just, I don't know what exactly I need, but I need something. And you're more open to it now in the past. And, and maybe me even talking about it today makes you nervous. And you're like, he's talking about this today and I've been dealing with this. And, and I promise you, it's not because I'm giving some great sermon. But you're here. And your circumstance is here with you. And you know what else? God's here. God's here too. There's a great quote by C.S. Lewis, uh, and you may have heard it before, it's, it's a pretty famous quote. He was a, an amazing Christian thinker and writer in the 20th century, and he says this, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Pain, you know? Maybe, maybe pain and struggle has woken you up, like has awoken you and caused you to begin to ask the important questions. Um, there's a pastor, a guy named Greg Laurie, who's got a great church out in California, and he's a pastor and a, a speaker. And he uh, lost, I, I discovered, I, I'd heard of him for a long, heard him for a long time, and in fact, he's got a great movie out right now called The Jesus Revolution. He got to help produce and write that movie. It's on Netflix, if you haven't seen it, see it. You need to watch that movie. But I didn't realize until recently that in about 2008, he lost his son to a car wreck in just this tragic, awful, senseless accident. And so when I hear him speak now, and knowing that, his, his words mean something different to me, like they come alive in a different kind of way. They're deeper, and, and they're just more real. In, uh, in 2011, I lost my wife to breast cancer and uh, our kids lost their mom. And it was the most faith-testing experience of my life. Uh, I was mad and sad and grieving the loss for me and for our family and for our friends and community and all those things were happening and yet, and yet, and yet. They were also these distinct, deep moments in that time where I knew without a shadow of a doubt that God was with me. And if I were denying that today, I would be lying to you. Like I, I, I knew there were just moments where he made himself incredibly real to me. Um, Greg Laurie, that pastor I told you about, he says this, he says, a faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. It's true. A faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. Our faith has to be tested. And it just strikes me that God sees these things in our lives differently than we do. He sees these important moments in our lives differently than we do. Jesus 
comes along a little later in the Gospel of John and he says this, he says, he's telling them all kinds of things that are gonna happen and he says, I've told you these things so that these are the disciples, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. In this world you will have trouble. It's coming, he said, it's coming. Your faith is going to be tested, but I've come so that you might have peace, that you might be able to have Peace in those moments, these difficult times, they are on the way. But I think that Jesus sees these important moments in our lives a little differently than we do. Let me ask you a question. Um, And the question this morning is this, if God uses important moments to build your faith, like if that's what he does, Is that what he does? Is that what he does? I kind of believe, yes, that's what he does. If God uses these important moments to build your faith, what should your response be? I don't often use the word should, actually. I don't know if you ever noticed that in in messages. I actually try to keep that word out, but because it just feels like I'm putting something on you. But here's a time where we need to ask that question. What should your response be? Let me ask you this, what's your go-to response? Like during those important moments, during those things, especially the tragedies, the difficult things, what's your go-to response? For a lot of us, it's just to kind of run away. For a lot of us, it's to get mad. For a lot of us, it's to shut down. For a lot of us, it's just to ignore God. Or maybe it's just to move in a different direction and say, well, see, I told you, he's not real. If God is using these important moments in your life, in my life, to draw us back to him, What should your response be? Our typical response can be of one of two things. We can either run toward him or we can run away. We can run away or we can run toward him. The the, the thing that I love about this official, this royal official, is that Jesus said, go, your son is gonna be healed, and he didn't question him. He didn't say, no, 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 you gotta do it my way. You gotta come with me. He got up. And he left, trusting. You know that he went to where Jesus was. He went to where Jesus was first. And then he took him at his word. Faith looks like that, right? Like where we go, we, we go where Jesus is and then we take him at his word. What does it look like for you to run to where he is, not away from him? What's it look like for you to run to where he is, not away from him? For some of us, it could look just like being here being present, being open to what he has to do. There's nothing special or great about my words. We're talking about what God has to say in his word to us. For some of us, it just simply means opening ourselves up to what he wants to do. Do you know someone whose faith has been awakened by the megaphone of pain? Do you know someone whose faith has been awakened by the megaphone of pain? Can I ask a more personal question? Has your faith been awakened by that megaphone? Maybe it's being awakened right now. Do you know somebody whose faith has been awakened by the megaphone of pain? God's most honored, this is the last thing I wanna tell you. God's most honored when we have circumstance-defying faith. He's most honored when we have circumstance-defying faith, where we look in the face of these moments in our lives and we step into faith anyway. We trust him anyway. 
We say, okay, God, anyway. Does it mean every prayer is gonna get answered just how you want it to be answered? No. But it means that you trust God for what he knows is best. That's what faith means, that's what trusting God means. God is most honored when we have circumstance-defying faith. When we look at our issues and look at our moments and we say, okay, maybe even though this thing is hard, even though it's difficult, doesn't mean I have to enjoy it, but maybe God wants to do something in it. Maybe he's working his will through it for me. Doesn't mean I can't grieve. Doesn't mean I can't be sad. Doesn't mean I can't be mad. But what do you do with your heart in those moments? Do you shut it down or do you open it up? He's worth trusting. He's worth trusting. We just gotta see as he sees. So that's gonna be my prayer today for you. And in fact, that's what the prayer that I wanna invite you to pray with me today. God, help me see as you see. God, help me see as you See, not as I see, because I see things as good or bad, but you see things with a different lens. And through your lens, God, everything is redeemable. God, help me see as you see. Would you just actually say that with me today? Could you say that with me today? You guys ready? Okay. One, two, three. God, help me see as you see. One more time. This is like a prayer to God, all right? God, help me see as you see. Help me see as you see. Thanks again for listening. You can find out more about Love Lake Norman at lovelkn.org. If you live in our area, we would love to have you join us on Sunday. If you're not near our church, we want to encourage you to find a life-giving church to be a part of where you live. That will be a key next step on your spiritual journey. Please take a minute, subscribe to this podcast, and keep up to date with our weekly messages. And thanks again for joining the Love Lake Norman podcast.